Like her father and brother before her, Tahira Banks was destined for a career in music. At 13, she was the lead singer of one of her island's rising soca bands. Wanting a change of scenery, Tahira negotiated with her mother and decided to move to Houston, Texas to live with her eldest brother. Houston opened up a new world of possibility for her, and although she was still in love with music, her experiences during both high school and college at the University of Houston expanded her dreams. In addition to the business of music, Tahira explored the business of, well, business. Like many entrepreneurs, she wasn't always sure about what type of business she would start. However, she knew one thing. She wanted to be her own boss. Her first venture, a music studio, did not exactly work out. This, however, was a mere lesson, not the conclusion of her journey. Tahira took the lessons learned from that experience and poured it into every other business that she has started since then. With her entrepreneurial spirit guiding her, Tahira had graduated from college and was ready to take on both the music business and her personal ventures. She was ready. In the fall of 2013, her world changed forever. Her best friend passed away after a car accident. A devastated Tahira decided to end her music career and focus on building her empire on her native Anguilla. With the memory of her best friend fueling her, Tahira has since started several successful ventures, chief of which is The Thoughtful Agency, an agency that works across multiple platforms, providing marketing and technology solutions to businesses and organizations, both in the Caribbean region and internationally. Her journey has been quite interesting thus far, but it is far from over. This is the story, thus far, of Tahira Banks. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. She is an entrepreneur, a creator, and a thinker. Just fitting that her company's name is Thoughtful. Tahira Banks, welcome to Planet 30. Thank you. Thank you for having me here, uh, Kristen. It's a pleasure to be here. Ah, lovely having you. Tell us about your experience. Well, first of all, what many listeners won't know is that you grew up on one of the best beaches in the world. What was it like growing up on Rendezvous Beach, Anguilla? Well, well let me just correct you. Rendezvous Bay is actually the best beach in the world. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just want to put that out there. But it was it was a fantastic experience. In fact, I, I had this conversation with, with someone yesterday about just how phenomenal the views are and how uh, just growing up, I, I, I've been so spoiled uh, with that with that view. I think the only view that, you know, I've, I've traveled to different places, the only view that probably rivals that view is in Santorini, but it still can't beat it. But it was an, it was an exceptional experience growing up in Rendezvous, and uh, I learned to ride my bike in the sand. So you know that that's if you can ride a bike in the sand, you can ride a bike anywhere. Yeah, man. But yeah, but my dad taught me to ride my bike in the sand, and um, I I was never really a big swimmer, 
But I, what I love the most about the beach is one, you know, having the ability to walk the beach as a child and then even as an adult at night, really be able to clear my head um, and, and, and just vibes like it's, it's, it's impeccable. And the people you meet, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, networking was a part of your life from the very beginning. I mean, uh, just walking that beach, you meet some major people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You meet, you meet, you meet a, a very diverse uh, set of individuals when you um, <laughs> when you live in Anguilla in general. But definitely on Rendezvous Bay, you're going to meet a lot of people, whether they're cruising out, whether they're just you know coming off a yacht excuse me, on a day trip from St. Martin or they're just hanging out on the beach or coming down uh, to the dune, my dad's place. You're going to meet a lot of different people. Mm-hmm. And the legendary, as the legendary story goes, you were a child drummer performing for Moonsplash. Yeah, yeah. I, the drums, that was my first instrument. That was that was my first love, actually. I, I got a red drum set for Christmas. I'll never forget that Christmas. My dad bought me a red drum set. And that was just the best thing ever. Like, I, I, I cannot tell you how many church songs I learned on drums. I, I just, it, it was an amazing experience being able to play the drums growing up and, um, and, and just, just, just learning it because it's such a unique instrument. You know, it, 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 it's fun. It's, it's loud. All instruments are fun. What am I talking about? But it's, it's, it's loud and it, 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 there's so much that you can do with the drums. There's the rhythm is is a big part of my life, and um, even though I can't really dance, uh, rhythm is a big part of my life. And and drums are, are or the drum was my first love. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell us about your time on the soccer field. <laughs> so you you just going through all my history. Uh, yeah, I played <laughs> I played soccer in Anguilla for the Superstars uh, Superstars FC. That's a female club. And I also played with the national team uh, when I was younger, when I used to live here in uh, from in primary school and then in high school. But it, it was always a, a great experience. You know, I think sports is an, an exceptional uh, avenue to develop friendships, relationships for life. Uh, it was a great outlet for me to channel my energy and, and, and just my drive. You know, I wasn't, when I lived in Angola, I wasn't necessarily very much into academics you know I, I did my work and i love to read but all the other stuff was just extra and for me most days it was about finishing school to go and play football <laughs> you know to go to go in the park and play football so that was a great experience and i was able to travel uh, to different parts of the caribbean uh through soccer and um it was it was a lot of fun and, and, and it taught me a lot of life lessons mm-hmm. one of those uh from soccer and seemingly well, obviously, from your parents was leadership. You seem to have been a, le- a born leader from from that age. Did you did you sort of feel that way even at that age, or did that come with time? You know what's what's ironic is I there was I had an experience. So when we were playing soccer, I was not the star of the team by any means. I was not the star of the team. In fact, I rode the bench for for the national team. We played for the national team. I rode the bench, but for the national team, we played. Uh, in a number of games for some world, you know, FIFA, FIFA qualifiers or something of that nature. And we played in Anguilla and we played against St. Lucia and we won those games. I didn't get to play. And then when we moved on to the next round, uh, we played against Trinidad. And again, uh, I didn't get to play the first game in Anguilla because we were blown out. And I remember we were practicing on the San Diego ball field and we had just come off of a very terrible defeat here in Angola. I think they had beat us by double digits. Nothing. I know they had beat us by double digits. Mm. I won't forget that name. <laughs> but um, we were in San Diego, and 
you know, I, I was on the bench and everyone was kind of down because it was a bad beat. But I was just really encouraging the team and just telling them, like, guys, you know, we got this. We're going to be okay. We're going to do good. What's not? And I remember teacher Colin, like, pause, like, like kind of stopped the session a little bit. And, and he just made a comment that, you know, I was very encouraging to them. And he really hopes that when I get my chance to play in, in Trinidad, he was like, you're going to get an opportunity to play in Trinidad because it's probably going to be the last game you play because we're going to get kicked out. But when we, I just hope you guys, when you guys get an opportunity, when Tahira gets an opportunity to play, you guys are, um, are as encouraging. And I really think that's one of the, that is one of the qualities of leadership. Back then, I didn't think of it in that way. I was just supporting my teammates. Um, but that is, that is certainly a quality of leadership, you know, being able to, to encourage the people around you, your teammates, when you're down, and, and being that voice of, of compassion and of hope um, in the middle of tough times. Mm-hmm. Tahira, what was the dream growing up? You were exposed, obviously, to music. Your mom is a professional in tourism, so that was the corporate side. What was your dream as you were coming up as a kid? That's a good question, Crispin. I, I think about that a lot because my, my dreams have changed over the years. I think my ultimate dream growing up was to be my own boss. And, ah. and for a very long time, I, not my ultimate dream, I knew that no matter what, I had to be my own boss. That, that's always been my personality, that I was, I was going to be my own boss. Um, and I, growing up for a lot of years, I saw myself achieving that through music, you know? And so there was, I, I always intended to own a business and or to own businesses. Uh, but I really, for the first 25 years of my life, I, I, I thought that music was going to be the space through which I, I would be able to attain that dream. And so that was my focus, uh, songwriting and music production and singing. And that was my focus for the first 25, 24 and a half years of my life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, to hear your parents and, and most of your aunts and uncles, definitely success stories. Did you feel any immense pressure as a kid coming from such a successful family? That's a good question. Uh, and the, and the, the short answer is yes. And the long answer is, but it wasn't a bad pressure. You mm-hmm. know, the, the short answer is, did I feel pressure? I don't think it was, I don't, it was not negative pressure. It wasn't like, oh my God, you have to be this, that, or the other. You know, that, that has never been the environment that, that, that was, cultivated within within my family, uh, both on my mother's side and my father's side. Uh, the, the, the expectation has always been that you will give your best uh, to whatever it is you do, that you put your best before, that you will operate with a, a certain set of values, you know, integrity and all these different things. Uh, like those that came before, like those that came before me, and so I mean, not just my parents. You know, my brothers, <laughs> my brothers. I, growing up, my brothers were like my heroes. So they they were successful, and they are successful in their own right. And um, and I I, I I did not feel a, a pressure to say, oh my God, you know, life is going to be over if you're not this out of the other. But I felt a responsibility, and and I felt actually very motivated to say that I am I'm going to. To, to make the people uh, around me proud that, that it was more like that. It wasn't like a pressure, like you have to do this or the other or, or you're, you know, sustaining, you know, it's more like, you know, I, I want to make the people around me proud because they have done so much and, and the goodwill that they have really uh, cultivated, not just in Angola, but in all the spaces that they exist, that goodwill um, is, is, is something that I need to be able to pay forward to, 
my my siblings and and to my cousins that that are coming after me, my own children. So yeah, my nieces and nephews. Mm-hmm. A couple years ago, I did an article for Design Anguilla, and oh. I highlighted two bands from Anguilla. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were started by a group of high schoolers, the Supreme Band mm-hmm. and Next Generation. Mm-hmm. Stereo, if you if we want to lean on stereotypes, prior to you guys forming those bands, people that were considered academics or good in academics did not dabble in soca music, especially. You guys sort of shifted the paradigm, not sort of, you guys shifted the paradigm and it was two collections of very, very smart teenagers doing soca music and contributing to the culture in a way that was never done before. So can you speak to that and then also go on to tell us about the rest of your journey in music up until age 25, as you mentioned? (laughs) Okay, all right. I'll, I'll try and get through it kind of quickly. So, as you as you shared, I I my my musical journey started when I was really young, maybe five years old, probably before that, uh, with the drums. And then I eventually, my dad got me a, a piano. My dad and my mom. I, I started going to music lessons with Miss Jacobs and promptly quit. <laughs> oh no! And now, today, and now today, tell my nieces, you need to stay in music. You need to do music. You're gonna be great. But yeah, I started the drums and then the piano. Yeah, my dad, you know, he has a guitar. He, just a bunch of instruments around the house. But uh, I, I, I was always like writing songs and just expressing myself creatively through music and you know playing one of the songs they played in church and what's not. Just, just again expressing myself creatively through music. And uh, when I got a little older. My brother, uh, Omari, he was dating uh, Serena, and I, I would go to visit her house, and her brother, Sil, uh, who eventually became my best friend, her brother, Sil, he was two years older than me, and so he had a piano, he had an 81-key piano, and so he would sit on one side of the piano and play, you know, the lower the lower parts, and I would sit on the top side of the piano and play the higher parts, and we would play, like, Backstreet Boys and... Boys to men and just all kinds of different songs. And I would be singing, and he was just really taken with my singing and my abilities. And you know, he just he just thought it was the best thing ever. And so when they were starting this band, Supreme Band, uh, he called he called me on a three way call with Sharon, and he was like, "Yo, yo, yo, I got you. Know, I got this girl. I want you to hear her sing. She can sing good. You know, to hear her, she can sing good. I want you to hear her sing." He was like, "Go ahead, go ahead, go sing, go sing." And I was like, because I was two years younger than a year younger than Sharad, two years younger than him. And he was like, oh, yeah. So I sang, and, and I sang the song by Tanya Stevens, It's a Pity. It's mm. a Pity. You are any of your life, and we're not never money on your life. It's like anything, right? And uh, they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, so let's jump into this. So we we eventually, over the years, developed a number of albums and and. and, and a friendship and you know it was a really great experience being in supreme band and competing at things like um i forget what it's called starfest and all these playing in the school Legend- and i just I, legendary performance at starfest <laughs> i wish i could see that video though i think that made me cry but uh but it was it was it was always it was always a lot of fun you know those guys those guys are like my brothers and um as the only girl in the band, we had a lot of really fun experiences and 
particularly in your formative years, to I would have been the youngest, and to be around uh, young men who were very much like my protectors. Um, it was it was a really it was a really good experience um, um, growing up, and, and it really it, it the competition even of being a soca band, even though I my preference is always R and B and pop. Uh, being in a soca band, I, I I don't know. It, it forced me to be a bit more versatile, and it opened me up to a different style of music. I, I had already, you know, I would always listen to hip hop and R and B and rock and roll and all these different things, but um, genres. But I, I, you know, being introduced to now more Caribbean music that would have been through the band. I would say I would I would attribute it to that. Of course, reggae with my dad every now and again because um, he's more folk, but I, I I just had a great experience with the band, you know, and it was a lot of fun with the guys, and then as we grew older, and, and we, we grew apart, and everyone, you know, I went to, I was in Houston, I had already moved to Houston when I was a teenager, went to high school there, I would come home with, and, and perform with the band, but then we, when we all transitioned to university, it, it was a lot different, and, uh, and my focus then more became on songwriting and, and singing and performing uh, for more of like a solo career in R&B and, and pop music. And for, for the majority of my time in university, that was my focus. I, I wrote so many songs and, and, and created so many demo discs that, that have and probably will never be released. And, um, and, but, but, but it, you know, some of them have and some of them have not. But for, for a while, that, that was the trajectory I was going on. And uh, when I graduated university in 2013, I, um, I, I, I had an opportunity at that time to transition now to recording. I had put together a demo of what I considered to be my best work um, over those years. And, and I had put that together you know, from 2012. But uh, I, I got some positive feedback on it and I had an opportunity to, um, to go, go up to Washington, D.C. In, uh, in October of 2013, that would have been to record my first studio album. And, uh, and I would have had the opportunity to, to, to connect and network with people like Quincy Jones and all these individuals. It, it was, it was a, a very connected individual that was, um, that was pushing me and that had believed in me since I was about 16 years old, you know? You know, Bob Johnson. Yes. And so, and so it was, um, it, it was, it was a, it, it was a great opportunity, Bob Johnson, through Franco Nuscesi to through Bob Johnson, and uh, and so that was the plan when I left school and I came home that summer um, to just kind of I had just graduated in 2013. I came home that summer kind of just to relax, recoup, and start to figure out what was next and how this was going to happen, or how I was going to transition back and forth, and um, and then that September, uh, still would have been who I would have mentioned before my best friend who died. Uh, he died in a car accident, and uh, and then that just that just kind of changed everything for me. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah. And Tahira, yes, I do remember um, his passing was very sad and tragic. But what about his passing um, led you to the decision to absolutely go cold turkey on music? Yeah, that's um, that's that's a great question, and. To be honest with you, Christian, I spent a lot of years trying to <laughs> trying to process that, trying to trying to figure out why is it that you know that situation could just kill that that driving me for that. Um, I think what I what I've landed on is is that music for 
the you know maybe 20 years if I started at five it was like my outlet you know it was it was my safe space it was the place where I could express my emotions if I was going through a breakup you know I could go and I write a bad I swear, I, I'm not gonna swear on this I, I read like a killer song you know I read like a bad song and um and and that would help me process that and if I um if I I if I was experiencing some challenge in a, in a, in a relationship with a family member, just anything in life, whatever I was feeling, uh, music was my therapy. That was where I confronted my feelings. And, uh, and with Sills passing, it was, it was just completely incomprehensible to me. Um, and, and music being that place where I confront those feelings, I, I didn't want to confront it. It was, it was, it was just too painful. Mm. It was that, and that's, 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 that's the short answer. It, it was just too painful to um to face it, particularly because I I attribute a lot of my belief for myself um in uh in music. I attribute a lot of that to him because I didn't I didn't know I could sing until you know he first he took he he, he was like like you're so good like you're just so great like he he just always made me feel like I was more than I thought I was you know. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody in your life like that, um, it's kind of difficult to, you know, it, it was just a difficult time. The first time I really heard myself on tape sing was was because of still we went up to Justin's studio and we recorded we recorded like some Muscington Brothers. Now I know, uh, I think it was who sang Shining Star? Yeah, my Shining Star. It was it? Yeah. Um, so we recorded those songs, and and that was the first time I heard myself on tape. And I remember, I remember that night vividly, like driving his car and hearing myself on tape, being like, "I like, like, like that's me, like that's how I sound, like, like I can't believe, like this is how I sound." But I just attribute so much of my love for the art to him, and and then to know that that was just gone, and this is, and so you know, the person that kind of you know, pushed you in this space for the in, in, in the beginning stages and, and kind of put you put you in, in a place where people don't know you sing. Because people knew, knew me with my dad like to drum, you know, but not a come out. I, people really learned about my ability to sing with the Soka band for three. And, um, and then not all of that was gone. And it was just very difficult for me to confront and to, to I don't know, process. I just didn't want to process it that way. So I put my energies into other things. Got you, got you. Going back a bit, you mentioned that you went to high school in Houston. How was that transition in uh, in terms of culture shock, et cetera, once you moved to Houston as a teen? Because you're coming from small Angola in the Caribbean to, what is Houston, the fifth largest city in the country? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was, it, you know, the transition was, it was, it was good and it was, and it was bad. It was good. Well, I'll just say that I used to visit Houston all the time as a child. Uh, it was the best place that, you know, I just loved Houston. Like, it was where I would go on vacation from a vacation. My brother lives there, lived there, and still lives there. And and it was, it was right for me. It was the right thing for me. I asked to move to Houston. I wanted to go. I... Um, I wasn't really focused. I was more focused on on socializing in school and the band and everything else in Angola. And I just kind of wanted to to. I just wanted a fresh start, you know. And and I I, I love the city. And my brother was there, and his wife and my aunt was there. And so I just said, you know, I told my mom I want to move to Houston, and and I told my brother I want to come and move and live with him. And he was like, come on. 
And so it was it was an interesting experience because, like you say, it's a culture shock from the perspective that, uh, one, more importantly for me, I didn't have any friends in Houston, you know? And my personality in Anguilla, where I had grown up, you know, you're making fun and everything like that. I was very self-conscious and very... Uh, I, I didn't necessarily feel like, feel like I fit in all the time, but um, so, so, so that was different. That was different. It was def- I was definitely a different person in Houston. But what I'll say is that it it allowed me to to find myself and to grow into what I consider to be a better version of myself. And so, what was that good about it was that I was not close to my friends that I had grown with. Um, but what was good about it was that it, it really helped me with discipline. You know, my brother and his wife are very disciplined and very structured. And I was put into an environment where I had to also be disciplined and very structured. Uh, it helped me in terms of I was able to, to you know, express myself through music in the church. And, and that, that was a wonderful experience for me. Uh, and and I just I just had a lot of time to think because I didn't have as many distractions as here in Anguilla. I just had a lot a lot of time to think in Houston and write and songwrite. That's where I I would attribute my time in Houston, particularly in high school, is where is what I would attribute to um, to really helping me to hone my songwriting um, abilities. Got it. Now you must have walked away with some. I don't want to say coping mechanisms, but some lessons in terms of, you know, g- moving into new spaces and adjusting to new surroundings, right? What what tips can you give? Because, you know, a kids transition to, from school to school, especially now doing COVID, uh, they're at home. People end up in new spaces all the time. What are some of the things that, that you can uh, suggest or things that you know or have developed for coping mentally when you're shifting, not just surroundings, but you know, new situations. Yeah, that's that's a great question. And uh, my, my suggestion is always to find something to channel your energy, uh, or to channel your energy into. Like that's that's what I did in Houston. So in Houston, I was on a just on a regimented routine. Like I would get up at five thirty. I'd be out the door by six thirty. I'd be in school. I'd come home. I play my piano. I write songs. And then I get up the next day and do the same thing. And on weekends, the same thing. So it, it, I don't know. I don't know what a psychiatrist would say about that. If that is healthy or unhealthy, but for me, um, just just having something to so I'm not just, so it's not just myself and my thoughts. Um, having a place to channel that energy and to 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 it, it helps me to develop those skills. And so I'd say if, if you're moving to some place new, obviously you want to meet people. Don't be a loner like me. You want to meet people. You want to connect with people. But um, but really use that that new space, that new experience to, to to do something that perhaps you would have not really had the opportunity to do, or you would have neglected doing because of your other environment. So, for example, when I was younger in Angola, I had a reputation as one thing. I had a reputation as a tomboy, and I'm still a tomboy. And I like most of the activities that I find to be fun are things that boys do, and I had a reputation as Oh no! I just wasn't really serious about school. Like I, I really was not interested in school other than English class because I love English. Um, but but when I went to Houston, I had the opportunity now to be something different. So I was on the honor roll every semester. If my friends in England had heard that, I'd be like, "Yeah, right." <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but but I was I was just able to to just focus 
and it was a fresh start to do and be something different. And, uh, and I think that everyone deserves that and everyone should give themselves that opportunity. Understood. Now you go from high school in Houston to the university of Houston. Well, first, yeah. first off, um, why did you pick U of H since you were already in Houston? You know, most most people want to go as far away from family as possible. <laughs> yeah, but like you said, Houston is a big city. I wasn't going to be living at home anymore. And I had I had some options because, again, my grades were good in high school. I had some options. And I remember having a conversation with my brother, who also went to the University of Houston. And I remember him saying, I wanted to go to UT. Initially, I considered, not wanted to, I considered going to the University of Texas. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember him saying, do you want to be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? And I was like, hmm, that's a good idea. That's a good <laughs> thought. I was like, all right, I want to go to U of H. And I don't know, it, it was just a natural fit. Like, I, I, I honestly never really considered uh, leaving the state of Texas. I was already fresh from Angola, only about, about three years. So I certainly was not, um, I was not necessarily in a space to say, yeah, I'm just going to like, get up and move to New York. You, you weren't sick not. of it as yet? <laughs> no, 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 it wasn't. Not yet. University of Houston. What were some of your experiences like? Because I know you studied business, correct? Yeah, I studied business. I studied business. Go ahead. Uh, knowing your reputation now as an entrepreneur, I want to know what are some of the key takeaways you took from U of H? Because clearly it must have contributed um, a lot to you know who you are now as an entrepreneur. Yeah, um, I, I, what I loved about U, the University of Houston that was that it was it's a really culturally diverse university. That that's very important, and that was very important for me as well. There are people that look like me and people that look like other people, so you can meet and experience new things with new people. I was not necessarily again the most social person on campus. I certainly was not. I spent a lot of time in my dorm room playing Xbox. But uh, but what I took away from my experience in Houston was and how I attribute that to, to what I do today as an entrepreneur was that actually uh, when I was selecting my major, so I selected accounting as my major, business management, and then I had to be specific accounting. And I wanted to do, I wanted to enter the entrepreneurship program at the university. So the Wolf uh, Center for Entrepreneurship, I think it's called, I have to correct the name, but it's the Entrepreneurship Center at the University of Houston. It's like the top entrepreneurship program in the country. And I remember applying to that program and telling them of my dream for my island and for my region, the Caribbean, and what it is I wanted to do and why, and you know, making my pitch just to like in an application, why it is that they should accept me uh, into the program. And, uh, and they didn't reply. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't even give me a reply. That's how bad it was. Oh, they, wow. um, I, I actually had to follow up, and they were like, "Yeah, well, you know, we're not, we're not going to move forward with you. We're not really interested in your application." And I remember thinking, um, in that moment, I was like, "All right, no problem. Y'all don't want me. That's cool. I'm gonna just take every course at this college, and it's gonna equip me to be an entrepreneur." That's literally what I thought in my mind. Like, you don't have to take me in your entrepreneurship program, but I am going to do all the courses that will equip me to be an entrepreneur. And I think that that kind of mindset has served me well, even in our business today, because you get turned down, you get rejected every single day as business, you know, but it's about how do you adjust and how do you refocus and how do you pivot from that uh, to, to still accomplish what it is you want to accomplish. I would say my most, um, 
my most uh, well, two two other experiences. The the most impactful experience at the University of Houston was when I became a salesperson for the Daily Cougar, which is the school's newspaper. And I had an opportunity uh, with the paper. I needed a job. I was told that I had to get a job. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and I no slackers I, around here. No slackers. So I had to get a job. And there was a the, the school offered. You could get different jobs at the school. So they had a job like at the daycare center, and then they had a job at the Daily Cougar. And so I said, okay, I want to work at the school's newspaper as a salesperson. I said, cool, sales rep. And when I went in for the interview, you know, I presented myself. She's like, oh, great, you know, I like you, I like your energy. You have the job. Let me know how you want to be paid. I was like, okay, what are the options? And she was like, well, you can get paid six hundred and fifty dollars every month. Like regardless of how much paper, you, how, much, how many ads you sell for the paper, or you can get it was either five or ten percent uh, commission on everything you sell. I was like, all right, bet I'll do the commission. And so there was no base salary; it was only commission. But what that experience really, really did for me was it one, it allowed me again to be my own boss, which was the mantra of my life, and to to be accountable for my outcomes. And, and two, it was like, it was just training, it was the starting point or it was a, a pivotal moment in, in, in getting me to where I am today because I had to contact a number of different people and I had to really go through that rejection process uh, in a real way. I had to figure out what do you do when you're down and you know people aren't answering and how do you hype yourself up? I remember I would get so many rejections in a day and then I'd go out in the courtyard and I'd put on my Sony headphones and I'd turn on DJ Khaled, all I do is win. And I just dance under that for like maybe 15 minutes and I come back in and I'm calling again. But it really just taught me the process of sales and the process of life as far as I'm concerned in terms of persuasion and, and, and getting persons to, to take an action that you want them to take. So that would probably be my second most impactful uh, experience or takeaway at the University of Houston would be my time working with the school newspaper and uh, and how it really started me in in this in this in this business that I'm in today in terms of uh, it's I mean the business of persuasion I, I would say that and connecting people. So you know? I, I was going to ask you um, another question, but you you, you sort of answered it. I was going to ask you, why not take, you know, with a great degree from University of Houston, you could have gone the corporate route and, you know, worked at a, one of the oil company, energy companies in Houston and lived happily ever after. But you decided to become an entrepreneur, which is always the harder route. Uh, but you said that you wanted to be your own boss. So I understand. Yeah, yeah. Like working, I've, I've just, I've never, like, I cannot think of a time in my life where I've ever envisioned myself working as a like as an individual in a corporate setting that's just never been appealing to me but for a lot of people i know and respect um that that is that is that is what they see for themselves but for me it, it was just never something that i connected with it was never something i connected with and i would say my third the third most impactful experience at the university of houston was when i started a business i started a business in 2009 and it was a music studio and it failed miserably. But in the process of it failing, I was also taking a full slate of courses. And so the business failed and I was failing my courses. And at the end of that time, I had no business and I had a tank GPA. 
And I remember uh, my academic advisor calling me in and telling me that I was going to be put on academic probation um, if I didn't get my grades up. And I remember feeling like, oh my God, like this is like the worst thing ever. And I remember the struggle uh, post that experience to build not only my grades up, but build my own confidence and get myself back on track to feel like I was even worthy of being there and that I wasn't just a complete failure from having a failed business and a failed um, GPA. And, uh, and in the process of doing that, I, I, I would say that that struggle and those hardships, I believe that I, I, I truly started the, the, the process to, to, to finding myself. And I'm still on that journey. But it, was, um, it, it, it really helped me to, to start to shape who I was going to be as a woman. That failure. So, Tahira, being the consummate entrepreneur, what are some of the companies you've started over the years? And, and tell us why they worked or why they didn't work. That's a good question. That's a good question. I have ideated a number of different businesses. So Loki Studios was the first. Um, that's why I shared with you, like when I was in school, failed miserably. It's called Loki uh, Studios. Just, yeah, it's called Loki Studios. And the key, the E, and the key was like a P. Yeah, it was, it was super corny. But uh, we we recorded one album and a couple of songs, but it 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 didn't work because of poor planning, uh, poor marketing, uh, and, and I just didn't have the cash to sustain it. Like, it wasn't just the cost of the, the studio, okay, you got the cost of studio equipment and what's not. No, you actually have to, like, pay rent at, uh, at a building. It, it just, it just, it didn't And work. this was in Houston? This was in Houston. And then okay. after I had failed, after I failed all those classes that semester with this, I was like, all right, I need to, I need to refocus on what I'm doing here in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that didn't work. And uh, and then when I when I completed university, I was already like doing work as you know as a consultant in a way. Uh, but I started. I, I named the business because all when I was finishing school, I was like coming up with I, always ideas. You know, I have no shortage of ideas, but it's just to figure out which one. Which one do you go after? And uh, I worked on. I, I named the business Dream Supreme. Uh, I dream supreme is what I, I used to say. So, meaning I dream big. So, dream supreme, dream big, and that was the company that, for about a year and a half, I was functioning as um, right after Sil died. And it, it, I don't think that it, it didn't work so much so as I transitioned. You know, I transitioned. That was a difficult time just because I was just starting out. I had just moved home. And, you know, like we were talking about offline, I, you know, people, when you leave school as a 24-year-old student, like the first thing that people want you to do is get a job. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my mother for sure, like I was a burden. I had already been a financial burden for the five and a half, six years I was in school. So her first thing was like, you need to get a job. And I was like, I am an entrepreneur. I'm not getting a job. And her thing was like, you need to get a job. <laughs> and, and, and so it, 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 was a, it was a really difficult time for me uh, because I was, I was dealing with the loss of my best friend. Right. And, and I, was, I was trying to figure out what, what was next for me in my life. I was not playing music. I had already said, I'm, you know, I'm not going to be focused on music completely or, or professionally I'm going to be focused on the business or building this business and, and in the same breath I, um, 
I, I didn't really have any money or any claims or any connections to get the things. Like, I didn't even have, I didn't have a phone. Like, I had, like, a top-up phone, and I would, like, go and take credit off my mother's phone. Like, you could send credit to a phone. So when my mother was taking a shower, I would, like, go to her phone and send credit to myself. I'm, 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 sure, she's, I'm sure she's listening to this interview now. Oh, she knows, she knows. She, she <laughs> found out to be quick enough. She was like, wait, how was my bill this high? And, and that's when she saw, like, all the transfers to my number. And I got in big trouble for that. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was just in a really low place. And I remember, uh, this will be, you know, a lot of people's first time hearing this, but I, it was, like, November. And when I tell you I was down, I was just really down. And I, um, I, my, my aunt, my aunt, Jessie, she just drove down to my house. She came to see me, and she was just talking to me and asked me, you know, what am I doing? And, you know, how are things going with the business? And I told her, you know, things are bad. You know, I, I would get up, and I just had my iPad, and I'd be calling people and trying to set up meetings. And, you know, I'm 24 years old. Hardly anybody was really, like, trying to take a meeting with you, and what do you have to say? Uh, but she, 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 get, she made an investment in me. She gave me a check. Uh, a nominal check, and, and she said, "Don't buy a car." It wasn't, it wasn't enough to buy like a like a, a grand car, but it, it was, it was, it was a sizable amount. That was the biggest check I ever gotten in my life. And she, and she said, "Don't buy a car." And what I did was, I, um, I, I, I so this is where the entrepreneur me kicked in. I bought a a piano. I bought a piano because I didn't have a piano on island, and I knew that the Christmas season was coming up or the festive season. And so I wanted to make some extra money playing the piano in restaurants and whatnot. So I, contact, I, I bought the piano and I put out a proposal for Smokies and I got a gig at Cuisinart, a couple gigs at Cuisinart. And one other place I can't even remember. But I, so what I would do is I, would, I, took, I made the investment in the piano and then the piano eventually paid for itself. So I was able to put that money back in. And, um, and then I... I bought a laptop, so I wasn't making presentations on my iPad anymore. So now I look like a professional. I got my I got my MacBook. I'm feeling good, and um, and then I, I I started to to get some traction with that, and uh, and then I started in you know I connected with a friend, uh, my my bandmate Jermaine G, Jermaine Payne, and we we were talking about what could be possible for Anguilla and what what could what 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 could happen if there was an app for the summer and. And so we eventually uh, formed Live, and, and 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 that's what we did. Like we developed an app for for the summer, and and it, it was, you know, it it felt like a lifetime, but it was really such a short period of time, and in the development of that, and trying to make that work, and then then you're back into the slow season, and uh, and then we started to experience some financial challenges because. You know, the reality is the business was really based around the development of this app for the summer and, you know, some of the services he was offering on his own and some of the services I was offering on my own. And in 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 retrospect, I don't think that we were as clear in terms of roles and where it is we, we wanted everything to go. And maybe I'm remembering different, but when I think about how focused I am now and how very clear I am now, I don't, I don't ever remember a time in my life where I've had this level of clarity. Uh, to guide my actions and guide my decisions, and I think that that would have been uh, a, a contributing factor um, to why that didn't necessarily work out. And so, G and I went our separate ways, and and I transitioned to Life Partners, 
which was with Gino and myself, my partner Gino. And Gino and I started dating in 2014. And all the time before then, what I would do is... What, what, came, what came first, the love or the business? The love. <laughs> the love came first. <laughs> the love came first. But he, he was always very much in technology computers. And and I remember um, in, in during that time, I, I was always stressed out because I would go out and I'd be pitching to clients or potential clients. I know we can do this, that or the other. And, uh, and then, and, and then I still had to rely on somebody to design like a logo or to build a website or to shoot a video. It, it was just, it was more like I, I was facilitating these things, but rely on other people to deliver the final product, right. but still have to give my word that you, it's going to be You were the producer. Right, and and that that just wasn't working out for me because I didn't really have control over when if things were done on time. Uh, I didn't have control over just just how things were going. I did because that wasn't in house; it was being outsourced, and that was problematic. Uh, and and so when Gino took up an interest in 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 and really dived into his interest in in web development. Uh, in design, that really changed things for us as life partners, and we started to experience a modicum of success. And um, and then from there, I think life partners was good, but we were still again not as focused. I would attribute it to you know not not being focused in terms of where it is you're going, not being focused in terms of how it is your what it is you're investing in, how it is you're spending, uh, not being focused in terms of your product lines, just all over the place, and most importantly not being focused in terms of work ethic. So I've always been a hard worker, but I don't think that I was working as hard as I should be working as an entrepreneur at that time, 25, 26 years old, working as hard as I should be working and definitely not as focused as I should be. And so by the time, um, by the time we started Sunkiss, uh, we just, again, were not, just not focused, just all over the place. And, and that lack of focus, it, 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 it manifested itself in, you know, not being clear on what we were doing with life partners and not 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 necessarily um, having a constant stream of clients, uh, not being clear in terms of with Sunkiss, how or, or not being strategic and monitoring, you know, how we were spending and 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 what the business model was for that. And so when Hurricane Irma came in 2017. And wipe out some kids because there's, you know, after the hurricane, there's, there's no, the beach is gone. Like, there's, right. there's no tourism. I, I, was gonna, I was gonna say, what, for those that don't know, what was Sunkiss? What was the company? Oh, it, right. Sunkiss was an, an adventure sports brand. We did hydro flights. We bought a boat. Like, why am I buying a boat? And I heard someone, after I bought the boat, after we bought the boat, I heard someone say, oh, boat stands to bring out another thousand. And I'll never forget, I heard that, and I just, I just took my hand, like, wow. I heard this, I wish I had known this before, but yeah, it was just a lot of expenditure, um, but it was an adventure sports brand, so we did Hydro Flight, we did ATV tours, uh, again, in part in collaboration with other companies, uh, we did uh, Anguilla by Sea Tours, so it was, it was a fun business, and it was really fun to develop, but I don't think that it's something that I would do again as a primary source of income. Never. Bring like, out it, another just, thousand. 
you still on that, right? Bring on another thousand. Like when I heard that after we had bought the boat, I said, "Wow, man, you you really you just you got to be more exposed, Kato. Like this is bad." But uh, when 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 Hurricane Irma came and you know destroyed the island, it 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 was really like a reset for us. And I think you know I know I, I referenced. T- taking the second chances when you get them. And I spoke about when I moved to Houston, and even me coming back to Anguilla and and deciding to stay here after Sil's death and not wanting to be away from family. Um, that was me taking a second chance as well. Mm. And so after Hurricane Irma, I was like, "All right, we got to do something different." Gino was like, "Yeah, we got to do something different." And we, I remember sitting in our bed uh, without the sheets on it. <laughs> Everything was wet, like it was after Irma, and I remember the windows were open, and it was just like, it was bum living, man. And I remember us, I don't even remember what day of the week it was, but just talking and saying, like, we just need to focus. Like, we need to focus on what it is we're good at, and we need to do that exceptionally well. We know we have a bunch of different projects and different ideas. You know, we have ideas for restaurant business. We have ideas for water sports. We have ideas for all of these career business. Like, but we need to focus on what it is we are really good at, and we just need to do that. And uh, and we were talking. Well, what would we call this business? What would we call it? And uh, Gino said he said thoughtful. I don't remember, so maybe he did say it. But um, but we we said we're going to do a digital marketing agency, and it's going to be called Thoughtful, and and we're just going to be super focused. And we have nothing right now because you know, Sunkiss you know completely depleted our resources, and then the hurricane came and took out all the rest of them. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna reset and we're gonna start over and we're gonna do it right. We're gonna this is a second chance, and that's what we did, and we we built differently. And, and uh, you know, we're not as successful as we intend to be, you know, but I'm very grateful to God how far he has brought us and where we are today. We're certainly, we have a long, long way to go, but I would attribute um, where we are today to to focus and to discipline and to, um, and to a, few, a few good mentors that we could rely on for advice and, and, and guidance, definitely. Mm-hmm. Particularly when it comes to hiring, because I think for the the first stages of my young life, first I wanted to just like you know I've always said that I want to give people opportunities. Like I want to, there are young people that are unemployed. My thing is I want to be a part of the development of young people. I'm not not that I'm not interested in developing older people, but there's so many young people that need guidance, and if I can be a mentor through work, and they get paid, and they learn, and they leave with new ideas and insights, I want to be a part of that. Uh, and and so I, I think in the initial stages of hiring people when I first started at 24, my goal was to, you know, to, to, to like, like to kind of convince people to work for us. And now when, when we interview people, like we just interviewed a young man that's interning with us now, I told him like, look, you don't want this job. He was like, what do you mean? I said, you don't want this job because it's hard work. And this is not a job that the average individual is going to want. And if you want to be comfortable, don't take this job. If you want to get paid, if, if you want to be in a job where you feel like how hard you work is equivalent to what you get paid in cash, don't do this job. Like, you will never feel like you're paid enough for the amount of work that you have to do. Like, it is, it is time-consuming. 
It is energy consuming. It is a lot of work. But if you want to contribute and if you want to grow and if you want to evolve as an individual and if you're thinking long term, then you can take this job. But if you just want to, you know, just get some cash, this is not the job for you because it's going to be hard. And so we, we really transitioned from kind of convince, trying to convince people to work with us and, and to know we are, we get applications and, and we're just like, look, don't take this job. This, this just isn't a fit for you. Not because you're not a nice person, but like, this is going to be so hard. I don't think you're going to want it. And then you determine who, who will really, who really will be a good fit based on, because most people, if you tell them, look, this is going to be so hard. Like, you don't want to do this. This is going to be crazy. And then I have Cordell in here, who, who's the operations manager, co-signing on that and the long nights and the late hours and all the demands and requests. Um, so most, you know, some people are looking at it like, all right, I think I'll pass. But the right people, they're going to stay and, and, and they're going to do well and reap the rewards of that. Now, Tahira, what are some of the major projects that you uh, you have worked on and perhaps are working on? I know that you guys just killed it with the uh, messaging for the Anguilla government with the entire COVID situation. And you're, you're plugged into a lot of international organizations now. Tell us a bit about that. Since, since starting Thoughtful, you know, we started with a handful of clients. And it was our gender affairs, Department of Sports, Movie Body, Anguilla Community College, Anguilla Tours Board. Then you transition um, Ministry of Health and Social Development, Angola Red Cross. Like there's so many different plans we work with here in Angola, in Houston, Decision Information Resources, California, Kofibi, um, the Texas Multicultural Women. There are a lot of different PD commodities. There are a lot of different organizations we work with. But uh, in recent times, you mentioned like the, the our work on the COVID-19 platform. So I'll talk about that and, and kind of use it to, to transition to where we are today. Because we're, we're, we're transitioning to a new space where, which is, again, coming back to that focus, we've been trying to get to, and, and, I, and I see us arriving there, where now we're going to be doing a lot more work regionally. Excuse me, but we, in, in, in March, we were, just, we were just trying to figure out what, what's going to happen now, what's next. Like, everything is, everything is just twisted as a result of COVID. And so we reached out to the Ministry of Health and Social Development at that time, that's what it was, and we told them, um, look, like we get all these WhatsApps and there's so much fake news and misinformation out there. What we really want to do is is we want to develop a platform that will be the central space for persons to get information related to COVID. And we want to do that at no cost to you. And they were like, well, okay, all right, do it. And so we did that. We developed that uh, and we got it up there. We got it up and running. And then they eventually contracted us to develop all of the messaging um, for the campaign, video production, logos, all the graphics, what's not, and to manage um, and to manage the platform that we developed. <clears throat> so that transition to not just building out spaces on the platform for repatriation, but building out spaces for the unemployment benefit, um, and and from there, like today, actually, uh, we we finished up and launched the visitor portal for persons to visit Anguilla using using the platform. So. Is a lot of work that's evolving, but you know, in the coming in the coming weeks and months, um, weeks and months, we're going to be um, 
we're going to be just talking about a lot of the, the new work that we have, not just in Anguilla, but, you know, we've been contracted by the OECS uh, to develop a number of individual projects. Um, we're looking, we're working with some organizations down in St. Lucia, uh, some digital marketing um, or some, some technology companies, sorry, down in St. Lucia to develop uh, individual products. So, like, there's a lot of St. Kitts, we work in St. Kitts as well. There are a lot of... Um, opportunities out there and I, I'm just again we're, we're extremely blessed I'm extremely grateful and um and thankful uh just just for the just for every every plan for every opportunity that comes in even the ones ones that don't work out uh just because it's it's, it's just an opportunity for us to continue to to master our master our skills master our craft and, and grow and we're at a space now where we reach out to clients we're always pursuing new clients uh in the same breath Every week, every day, every day we have new requests for work, and and that is a space that, you know, when we started out, like I told you, I was just on an iPad and I couldn't get a meeting. You know, <laughs> uh, my my how so, times have changed. Right, 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 and so and, and and but but like I like I was telling Cordell today, for me, it's it's never about you know I you know we 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 the baddest and all that kind of thing. Never like it's more about never forgetting where you started. And knowing that you still have a long way to go and and being really focused and not taking any client or not taking any opportunity for granted, not thinking I'm too big for this or this is too small for me or, you know, I'm, 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 I'm better than this, that or the other is more about like, yo, how is it that I take advantage of every opportunity that presents itself and bring my best and bring my all to, to every opportunity? And that kind of ties back to your question about, you know, if I felt pressure to be successful. I didn't feel pressure to be successful. I, I just felt a responsibility um, to, to to kind of pay it forward to my nieces and nephews and everybody that's coming after me and to honor those things like integrity and trust and compassion and empathy um, that, that my family embodies and to bring that to the business and to hire people and work with people and partner with people who have those qualities and character traits as well in mm. my team. Mm-hmm. What do you enjoy most about brand development and marketing for other companies? To be honest, let's see. I like connecting with people. I, I, I'm, I don't know. I've always liked stories, and I like talking to people and 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 hearing them and and I don't know, like listening. I enjoy. I enjoy. I like to talk, as you can tell. But I also <laughs> like to. But I also like to listen. You know, I like to. I like to just understand and and I think that what I take away the most or what I what what gets me going every day is the fact that our work has the opportunity to impact people make their lives better um and and again that goes back to that responsibility to do good and I I guess I would say I I like I like seeing the transformation you know I like I like seeing the transformation and of course I love when when they're pleased and when they feel like something that they envisioned has been brought to life, you know, or something that they wanted. So some problem that they have had, or right, some problem that they had has been understood and a solution has been created and they like the way it looks and feels and, and other people like the way it looks and feels. So I guess it's the conversation and it's the transformation that the clients get. And, and, and it's, and it's, it's the community that, that we're building around our work and, and around our clients and the people that, that connect with us. That's what it is. Like, it's a community of people that, that, that love good work and that are hardworking. You know, we have a, 
we, we, we are discerning as well about what, who we work with as clients, who we work with as customers, you know? Indeed, indeed. Now, you spoke about your ups and your downs, low-key studios, etc. <laughs> and now you're soaring. How do how did you escape those times? Like speak to mental toughness, especially when things don't go right. What are some of the key things that any entrepreneur should either apply or uh or talk about even the mindset that gets you out of the ruts because every entrepreneur goes through it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a big one. And, and I, and I think that how you approach, how you approach those times, that's what defines whether or not you're going to be successful or not. I don't consider myself successful. I would say I'm, I'm, I'm getting there because my definition of success is evolving every day. Uh, but I, I would say that, in my most difficult moments, and what has really helped me through my most difficult moments has been just this knowledge that every every situation, every life is not happening to me, it's happening for me. And I, I, I just always felt, that, or I had to develop to feel, particularly after Seal died, and to understand that like nothing is final, you know? Nothing is final. You might be, you might feel down right now. You might you might not be in the space that you want to be in. You might not you know have the money in your bank account that you want to have. But life can change overnight, and it's about how do you look at the challenges? How do you approach? What is the perspective? Like, what is your perspective? Do you look at the challenges as you know some 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 force that is working against you, or do you look at it as an opportunity to make you better? And that's what my approach has been. Like every situation that's coming before me, how can I grow from this? How can what can this teach me? How can how can I evolve into a better version of myself as a result of this? Uh, yeah, that's 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 what I would say. Like it's about it's about perspective. How do you look at it? And if you look at it as oh me, poor me, I'm the victim, everything is going wrong. You know, I'm not I'm I'm I'm, I'm never gonna have what it is I want. Bad things happen to me. Self talk is key. That's, that's, that's what I'd say. Self-talk is, self-talk is key. And I read this book uh, a few years ago. And, you know, I, I read a lot. And, and I love, like, personal development, self-help books and what's not. But I read a book a few years ago that was really transformative for me. And it talks about the power of self-talk. And it talks about how you don't say, uh, you know, I'm going to be successful. Or you don't say, I am going to have a successful digital marketing agency. You say, and, 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 and I have it as a part of my affirmations every morning, Thoughtful is the number one digital marketing agency in the Caribbean region, you know? And, and so it's what, what, do you, what are the conversations you have with yourself? And a lot of people have some really um, uh, uh, limiting conversations with themselves, especially when you get in those times when things are tough and you say, oh, nothing good is going to happen. Oh, I'm such a failure. I suck. Things are so bad. Even if you don't articulate them, you're thinking them. And, and it's really about re, rewiring your mind uh, to, 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 to develop that positive self-talk. And how I would suggest persons rewire their mind to develop that positive self-talk. What I've done 
is I've listed out, I have my affirmations and they're based on my goals, my goals for my personal life, my goals for my spiritual life, my goals for my relationship with God, my relationship with my family, my relationship with my fiance, my relationship with my business. And I speak in terms of the now. So I don't say, like I said, I don't say I, I am going to be a good wife. I say I'm a great wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't say I am, I am going to, excuse me, I'm, I don't say I am going to, or Anguilla, I am going to work to make Anguilla the digital capital of the Caribbean. I say Anguilla is the digital capital of the Caribbean. And so can you imagine, like if you just say once or twice, that's one thing. But for the past five years, like, that's it. Like, I wake up every day and I listen to my own voice repeating those things to me. And so it has become a part of my consciousness. And so I, it's, it's almost impossible for me to talk negatively to myself because I talk positively to myself every day. And it's, it, it's kind of creepy at first. I won't deny it's kind of creepy at first. Like, but, so initially how I did self-talk, I started in college where I wrote down things I was grateful for. And that is like a life hack. Like there's, I'm all over the place because there's so many different things you could do, right? But gratitude is a part of those affirmations. And so I wrote them down, and I spoke about them in the future tense. And uh, and then it, it, so they were just they were just on the wall. And then eventually, I think I wrote them in the phone or something like that. And as technology evolved, and then when I read the book, it said, you know, you don't write them down and just read them out you need to record yourself saying them and then you listen to your own voice every morning saying it and now it becomes a part of your spirit and and what, what is what is a uh, what is a what is interesting to note in this situation is if you think about for, for the listeners think about yourself as a parent and if you have a child so this this what i do has worked to the positive or or, or for my benefit but imagine a child that's living in a household where every single day they are told that they're not good enough, that they're dumb, right. that, you know? Like, so how does that impact you? Like, opposite, what does that do for you? The opposite happens. The opposite happens. And so that's why it's so important for us if, if you've ever had people tell you limiting things, and people will always try to tell you limiting things. People will tell you everything you can't be, you can't do. And that's why it's so important for you to have that armor, that steel, where you know who you are, and you tell yourself who you are every morning, and that gets you hyped up. Yeah, that's, that's what I would say when you're going. And, and, and when you do that, so I experience sometimes every day there's a problem. You know, every day there's a challenge, not a problem, a challenge. As you hear, I correct, I correct myself very often. But every day there's a challenge and, um, and, and how it is you decide to approach that challenge and how it is you decide to face that challenge is really going to be based on what it is you have in you. And if it is that you have this negative self-talk that... I'm not good enough, you know, nothing good happens to me, then that is what you're going to project on that challenge. But if you have within yourself that, you know, I'm successful, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a great wife, I'm, I'm, I'm running, a, a, you know, Thoughtful is the, is the most successful agency in the Caribbean. These are things that, know you, it, it just reframes the way you look at it. And it's not even a stress anymore. It's just like, this is something I got to deal with. It's a part of the game. Mm-hmm. You want to be successful, you have, you have challenges. Fun question. What are some of your favorite books? You touched on it a little bit uh, in, in your last answer, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, what are some of your, some of your favorite reads? My favorite reads, okay. So I would say, Screw It, Just Do It. That's by Richard Branson. Um, Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. I read that like once a month. 
and listen to it on an audiobook once a month. And and again, I'll just kind of just drop in there that for everything, every, every challenge that you face in life, if you just develop a spirit of gratitude, like nothing will feel like a challenge like that. It will just feel like something you have to work through. So gratitude is what I really took away from seven spiritual laws of success. Uh, what to say when you talk when you talk to yourself? That's the book I was referencing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. It really helped me to. I think that that for me was the was the the second to last point. Like the, the that book and then the book afterwards really helped me to cement who I am and to understand who I am. God, so many books help me to understand who I am. But yeah, <laughs> um, um, Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, Atlas Shrugged by Iron Rand. Uh, let me see what else. Atlas Shrugged, Outliers. I'm trying to think. There's one other book that I find to be useful. I'm drawing a blank right now. But if I remember it, um, it'll pop up. But yeah, they all, they all teach me and have, 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 oh, it's, um, The Road Less Traveled. It's a book written by a, by a psychologist. I can't remember his name, but that's an excellent book because it, I don't know, it, it, it helps me to understand people a bit better. All right. What do most entrepreneurs, I know I can tell you, I can give you a list of the things that I know now looking at, you know, back the other way that I did wrong. You highlighted some of yours, but what are, what are some of the um, key things that entrepreneurs get wrong, particularly when it comes to branding and marketing, I know you've had to go in and and persuade people not to use a certain logo or a certain name. <laughs> what are some of the key things that entrepreneurs get wrong, and that they should pay attention to when they're now when they're starting their companies, or whether it's a restaurant or uh, another digital agency, whatever it is? What are some of those things that they get wrong? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think and and. Again, this is evolving. If you ask me this next year, I'll come with a different answer. But I think one of the challenges, so is it, is it just related to marketing or is it just business in general? Oh, you can do business in general, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that one of the challenges that, that as entrepreneurs we, we tend to make is that we develop products for ourselves, right? Mm. And so you might like something, and, and that doesn't mean that you should develop something you don't like, but I think that when you develop, not think, I know, that when you develop a product that is for yourself and not necessarily for a market, that you have done, taken the time to research and identify, you're going to be out of business because, I mean, if you're the only person that's, that's interested in this product, it's not going to sell like, because you're the only person that's interested. So that's that's one thing, not, not really taking the time to identify who the product is for. Yeah? yeah. Uh, product or service. Another challenge that I find as entrepreneurs we sometimes meet um, is that sometimes you want to, you see someone, particularly here in the Caribbean, you know, you see someone do something in Angola. Let me just say that. In Angola. I, I can Somebody do that. Start, I can do that. I'm going to start that. Let me go and do it. So, one of the challenges, I will give you the flip of that. One of the challenges that entrepreneurs meet is that they create a business that is easy to replicate. Uh. And so if you have a business that's easy to replicate, that anybody can just, with little to no capital, 
little to no skills, can just get up and go and, 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 and create, you're going to have a problem in the long run because then all people are going to do is come in and, you know, put put their product or service at a price that's less than yours. And and while, you know, it, it, the quality might, might not be the same, at the end of the day, if you're not, if you don't have enough receipts, you can't survive, right? Um, the other, the final thing I'll say, and, and this has become, this has been like a recent revelation for me as I continue on my, on my journey as a, as a communicator and a connector and marketer, whatever you want to call it. A challenge that I feel a lot of us as entrepreneurs make is that, and I've been guilty of it as well. We believe our brand, you say, I want, I'm doing branding. We believe our brand is our logo or a video or on a website, a brochure, something like that. And, and and in reality, that is not a brand. Nope. You know, those are those are identity tools or or communications tools, right? And and, and and so as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we fail to understand that our brand is what people feel about us. Exactly. Your brand is what people feel about you. And 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 if it is you understand that your brand is what people feel about you then you'll be more focused not just on coming and making the cosmetic changes because we can do that but you really focus on identifying the issues that exist if you're having a challenge with your brand the issues that maybe it's corporate culture maybe it's the quality of the product or service maybe i don't know the price whatever it is what are the issues that exist within your business or within your brand that makes it so that customers don't necessarily want to patronize you. And and when you understand that, then you'll be in a more unique space um, to, to, to see success as opposed to just saying, oh, you know, nobody's doing business with us. Let us just um, change our logo and develop a couple business cards and do this, that, and the other and say that, you know, we're great and we're transformed. No, you actually have to be the difference. You actually have to change. You actually have to work and the culture that exists within your organization. You actually have to work on your customer service or the customer experience. You have to work on your product. You have to work on efficiency, all of these individual things. And so I feel like that is a big mistake that um, that organizations make. And they, they go through a lengthy exercise to quote-unquote rebrand and and they miss the fundamental um, aspect of, of working on their brand, which is adjusting the customer experience, which will then um, reflect in in, in having uh, people's feelings about your organization improve. They should pay you <laughs> to, to listen to this podcast. <laughs> gems, <laughs> just dropping gems. Go, speaking of branding in that, in that same vein, what are give me the, the first three steps that an individual should take. Like, okay, I have this idea to get to do a bakery. <laughs> or, or an auto mechanic shop before okay. anything else what are the first three things that entrepreneurs should do I think the first thing you should do is some research right so you need to do an assessment and I would do an assessment to identify like the needs of the community because for uh, you said a, an automotive an, a, an automotive shop right? oh just, just, a, just for example I mean you know right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that, no, that's a good example so an automotive shop, generally speaking, you want to get, you, 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 do, you do an assessment and you identify, well, you know, is it, what are the needs of individuals? And, and that assessment will include, you know, some, some research on your competitors as well, right? 
And so is it, so, and then the next question you have to ask yourself is based on this research, uh, do I want to be a specialty shop? Like, will I exclusively service Swift? Do I want to be known from the Anglian context to service Swift? Do I want to be known as a shop that, that, that exclusively services high-end vehicles? Um, or do I want to be, hey, just bring your vehicle and come? You know, there's, there, there are many different approaches. So after you do the assessment, you identify, from that assessment, it'll help you to kind of identify um, or help you to, to select uh, which market you'd be more interested in going after. Um, after you've identified which market you, you actually want to go after, then I would, I would do some more research. I, I would go, I would dive a bit deeper with them and, and, and ask some more questions on, on what, what their needs are. And don't spend all the time doing research. Um, but, but if you're asking me, like, what, what is, like, an exercise you can do, I would say the business model canvas and value proposition design. Uh, I forgot the guy's name, but I can always give you the link to include in this. Like, there are free tools online. I did that for Thoughtful and a number of other businesses, but it really makes you answer the core questions and answer them in an honest way. And, and, and I think once you do that, it'll give you some, if you answer the questions correctly after, and as you go through the research process, it'll give you, um, it'll give you some clarity. I mean, I've done that for business ideas and then decided, all right, I don't want to do this. this. This doesn't make any sense, you know? But what a lot of people do is say, oh, I want to own a mechanic shop. Let me go cut down the land, start <laughs> putting up some blocks, before, start buying all the equipment. Before any research is done. Before any research is done, yeah, I need a logo. Let me put this here, and you haven't really taken the time to, um, sorry, you haven't really taken the time to to do the research to, to even identify. Do we need another mechanic shop? You know. Right, right, right. To hear what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Wow. I think the some of the best advice that I ever received. The personal, like uh, business, I can give you business, start with business. The best business advice I have ever received has been, it, I'm trying to figure out how to word it. It, has been, it, 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 it was advice on, on our business model, right? And what it was, was we were talking to someone that, um, that is a mentor, and we were talking, and he was telling us, because he has a, a, a technology company, he was telling us that what he does is he, he, figured, he knows how many clients he wants to get per quarter as a target. And he develops a number of prototypes. Let's say he develops seven prototypes of the project that's maybe 10, 15% complete. And then he sets a meeting and he goes and he makes a pitch to a client. And he says, hey, well, after, after like a preliminary discovery conversation, he'll go and he'll develop a prototype that's like 15, 20% complete. And then he'll come back to the client and he'll pitch the idea and they'll be able to see it visually. No money has been exchanged, nothing. But they see it and they're able to work around with it, play around with it. And you won't close all, but you get a lot of the claims. So he told us about that. And that was at a time when, right before Hurricane Irma came, so that was already in my mind, fresh, for when we started Thoughtful. And I would attribute that to our success at Thoughtful, where we, we stopped like thinking that we're just going to go and say, hey, we're Thoughtful, we can do great design work, 
you guys should come in and, and do business with us. We can do great web development. You know, we're a great branding agency. We're a great um, a digital marketing agency, whatever. Um, come and come and do business with us. You know, we stopped doing that, and instead, we, we I would go in and I'd have a discovery discussion, and I just ask like some some very pointed questions, and I would get to know the, the the prospective client a bit more, and then I come back from the team and I'd say, guys, what 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 can we do like to, to help them? Like, how could we solve this problem? And we sit and we brainstorm uh, for hours sometimes, and then we come up with a prototype, a mock-up as we call it, and different sketches and renderings of what your logo could be, your designs, your billboards, all this, and then we go and present. And the first time we did that, the client was like, oh, wow. Like, I haven't paid a dollar and I could already, like, I haven't paid you anything, but I can see what I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. And I love it. You know? And so that, that was the hot for us. That was, that was, but, but the thing is, most people aren't willing to do that because there's no guarantee. You know? There is we, no guarantee. We, one, there's no guarantee, and two, you have to be extremely sure of your work <laughs> to do that. Because if your work is not good, then you're going to go to that meeting and be like, all right, pass. You know? But we are very confident um, in, in, in our ability, and we are very confident in, in what it is we do. And so when we go in now, like, I, I, I think that's, that's like the, I attribute that to everything that we are today. Or, yeah, I, that for sure has really been was a defining moment for us when we made that decision to adjust our model um, from from what it was before to what we call now show and tell. So that was big. I think uh, some of the some of the some of the other best advice that I've ever received uh, was from my uncle, and uh, I was I was again in a very tough spot in my life, and I was um, I was dealing with a lot of pressure. And, and, you know, the challenges of, of starting to experience some level of success and, and, and what comes with that. And it was like nothing. I wasn't even where we are today. And, um, and I, you know, I remember, like, I'd be crying, you know, and I just, I was just a, a wreck. I was, it was, I was just in a very, very bad place. And, and, and I was doubting myself and I was scared and I was self-conscious and I, I just, I felt so attacked. And um, and this was a lot of years ago, like maybe five years ago. And um, and I remember talking to my uncle, and he said, you know, these things have to be like water off your back. And and if you're gonna, if you want to be successful, you're gonna experience people are gonna come at you, and you're gonna experience uh, challenges, and people are gonna try to assassinate your character, and 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 all of these things are gonna happen, and and you have to be okay with that. But you have to know that's that's the price of success, and you can't take it personal, and you can't get angry, and you don't have to react or respond, and you don't have to cry. That just has to flow with water off your back. Mm-hmm. And and every and every time I experience something like that, no, I literally just see water running off. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> the, that's the image in my head, and and it, I think that that advice has kept me very sane um, um, on this journey. Indeed. Now you have an obsession with video games. What is it about video games <laughs> that you like so much? <laughs> Man, video games are like my outlet. I'm not even happy. If my if my if my boys hear me hear me and I say my boys because it's mostly guys, it's all guys that I play with. If my boys hear me talking about this now, they'll be like, "Ras don't even like play it like she used to." Because I don't. When I was so when I was a young child in Angola, like yes, PlayStation sixty four. 
um, Super Nintendo, everything, Duck Hunt, everything. Like, you spoke about Denver, like, we come home on our lunch break, we run a game, you know? Like, all I wanted to do was play video games. And then when I went to Houston, you know, I said earlier, it was a very structured environment. So I was not allowed to play video games during the school year. I could play video games on the holidays. Yeah, on the holidays, that's <laughs> it. And so that was different for me. And then when I went to, but I, again, I run game like crazy on the holidays. And then when I went to, um, to university, I had freedom. And I didn't take that freedom and party. I took that freedom and I played games. <laughs> so I got an Xbox 360 and I, um, and I got Call of Duty and Modern Warfare then. And me and my cousin GB, like, that was it. And Sil Harachi, that's Harachi, Sil Gamer Dad was Harachi, and Space Boy, Shane, all those guys. We, um, we just ran games, Humpy, what's up, Humpy? But we, I don't know, it was like when I was in university, I was again away from my, my friends and family, and it was just a community, you know, that's what I. Again, that, that's that's what a powerful brand is. It builds communities. And Xbox is just like that. Like, I would literally, I remember, I would literally wake up in the morning and <laughs> not even make breakfast. Boom, turn on my game, put on my headset, I'm making breakfast on Xbox. Sometimes you're not even playing game, you're just talking. You know, you're just talking about everything. As I said, this goes like my brothers. And um and and then play game or the lunch that's it. But it, it was just it was it's just a community. And and what what is ironic is my dream has always been to have a husband that played video games and was as good as or better than me. Because most of the guys that I had ever talked to either didn't play video games or were not like good like guys and they talk to a guy you meet him he's like I, no, I can't talk to you like you don't play game like you're standing we, we can't date but um uh, when I met Gino like one of the first things we played Call of Duty and he beat me and I was I was so angry I remember thinking what but I was like alright he's the one <laughs> that wasn't the only determining factor but yeah it's just it's just an outlet man it's a great space it helps you stay out of trouble it helps you save money uh ladies buy your man a video game so you just the headache and the heartache. And it's it's just it's, it's it's just a fun a fun vibe and, and it I just love video games. I don't know what else to say. I just love it. It's my outlet. And so again, I used to play all the time when I was in school. And then when I came home and I started working, I I, I was I obviously wasn't able to play all day. And so sometimes I'd play like maybe nine o'clock on a weeknight. And then it eventually became, okay, only on weekends, which is what it is now, weekends and holidays. And, you know, some weekends now I don't even get to play video games, like, because the work doesn't stop. But, and, like, every chance I get, though, I am, um, like, tonight and tomorrow, for sure, I'm going to my jump on that call and do the some game with GB and the guys. <laughs> You're very yeah. disciplined to only do it on the, on the, on the holidays, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but just because it's not... Again, that's a trade-off, though, and that's part of being an entrepreneur. Like, I could, I could decide to get up every day, and yeah, I have the freedom because when you're an entrepreneur, you can do whatever you want. But I know that if I don't go to work, I'm not gonna eat. <laughs> right, know? that's my like, favorite thing. If I don't hunt, I don't eat. That's it. So if I if if, if there's if there's no um if, if if I'm not out there working and grinding, like I can play a game all I want, but soon enough the lights will be out. So I need to, I need to, to, to work. 
And so that was a transition. That was a transition for me when I realized that I couldn't play games during the week. I was like, wow, I actually have to grow up. And uh, but even as, no, even now, like I don't think I'm ever gonna stop playing video games. And I hope that when I do get kids, like they're gonna they're gonna play video games. My niece, somebody called me the other day. I was at work, and I was like, oh god, somebody harassed me with now. And she called. She was like, Auntie, uh, can I can I can I have an Xbox controller, please? I was like, oh, absolutely. Let me stop whatever I'm doing. I'm gonna let me. I'm gonna get to you. Like, I dropped everything I was doing. I got her Xbox controller because I was like, yes, I want you to play video games. <laughs> What's next for Tahira Banks? Man, that's a good question. A lot. A lot. There's there's a lot going on. There are a lot of good things going on. I think my focus right now is um is 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 this mission that we're on to transform and go into the digital capital of the Caribbean. And 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 it has expanded beyond that to to really lead and, and be a part of the leadership of the transformation of the, the entire region um, from from what we know to be a very, I'll say, traditional uh, space into a more uh, technologically present. <laughs> I'm trying to be very diplomatically correct. I'm, I'm trying to ensure that every island in the Caribbean um, is taking advantage of of the 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 digital space that exists out there, and I don't believe that we're doing that right now. And so, what's next for me is focusing on what is my contribution, what is our agency's contribution, what is as a team our contribution to um to using technology to help to transform uh, the lives of the people of the Caribbean, not just the Caribbean, other parts of the developing world and in small islands around the world. How do we transform their lives and and the new things, you know, how do we help them to achieve sustainable development um, through technology? So that's that's my focus, and and I'm trying to do a lot more in the community. I'm I'm, I'm working harder so that I can have more to give more, you know, Um, looking to to find the right people to bring as a a part of our team. I'm extremely paranoid about that. Like, I want the right people as a part of our team and, and really to train them up and, and to, to cultivate young minds and to help young people see, see opportunity and, and believe in things because, you know, it, it, I, I've lived in my own world for a very long time, meaning I've lived in my head for a very long time. And it's only because I've, I've always been a dreamer that, um, that I am, that I've been able to really kind of, fight against a lot of the energy that exists in the world and a lot of the people that are going to tell you you can't do this you can't do that you can't be this you can't be that um and and so i've always been a dreamer and i've been able to fight against that but some people never had the opportunity to dream and some people don't know that there's a different way and a different life and and my hope is that through my work and through through our activities and through our community engagement um and 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 and, and outreach that we'll be able to positively impact the lives of people and we'll be able to help them to see like a different way, a better way and, and feel like they can go after whatever it is they want to go after and not fear, um, fear failure and not fear um, uh, people laughing at them or ridiculing them, not fear, not just fear, not fear trying, you know, because that's what I think keeps a lot of people back, like even just starting. And sometimes you just need a push. So I, I'll be a hype man. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to be. Wonderful, wonderful. 
Now, when you are 99 and a half years old and you're on your rocking chair overlooking your, uh, on your veranda in Rendezvous Bay, what is the thing that you would like to say, I'm happy I accomplished that? So what is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal, I paused for a second because I really wanted to think about that. And, and, and there's so many moving parts. But I think my, my ultimate goal is, is kind of selfish to Anguilla because this is where I'm from. And I feel like we've always been, like, like I hate like boys in the Caribbean and they don't even know where Anguilla is. Like the disrespect. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but like, like I feel like we've always been an underdog, and mm-hmm. and I want to work. I want to impact the region, and I want to impact developing nations positively through technology. And I want to be able to say that we've done that from Anguilla, and I want to be able to say that Anguilla has been. I want to be able to say that through my work and and through the work of other people, I've contributed to Anguilla leading that. And, 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 and when people think about Anguilla, they think about progress, they think about opportunity, they think about innovation, they think about, wow, like, this is a space where you, you can be creative, this is a space where you can dream, this is a space where you can contribute and, and be a part of a community of movers. And, 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 and that's what I want. And, and, I, and I, want to, I want to be able to say that I contributed to that. And I want to be able to say that through my work and through, through our businesses, um, we've been able to, 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 positive, to make the lives of every Angolian better, to make it so that every single individual in Anguilla um, um, is, is, has a job, like 0% unemployment. Like, I want to contribute to that. Like that's that's one of my one of my big picture goals. Like to be able to contribute to zero percent unemployment. Um, to to be able to 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 ensure that every child that leaves and so Crispin, you have me telling you my dreams now. But to be able but but like through our work, I wanna be able to say like every child that leaves school, like they their education is paid for. You know? Like that's that's like like that that a parent doesn't have to struggle and wonder about that because my mom really struggled to put me through school, and 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 I want to I want to contribute to that and I want to be a part of that and 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 I believe that we are in a very unique position to accomplish that, and um and 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 it's going to require us collaborating and it's going to require us you know working with people from all over the world because we're going to be impacting them too. But and like I said, it's it's a bit selfish because I want to do all of that for everybody else. But I wanted to I wanted to to be I wanted to happen from here in Anguilla. I want to help them from here, and I want people to say like Anguillians helped us. Wow, wonderful, love it, love it. So this is a segment to hear that I call the planet is yours. I strap on my spacesuit and get out into the atmosphere, <laughs> and I leave you on planet thirty all alone. Tell the audience whatever it is you want to tell them. Wow. <laughs> Ready for this. Uh, what do I want to say? I think I want to say, like, whatever it is that you're working towards, don't give up on it. Um, you know, I wrote in my, in, my, in my notes this morning, like, do you want your blessings? And I know that this is a really tough time for a lot of people. 
tough time for everybody. And um, and I know that it can be demoralizing, it can be scary, and it can be the uncertainty is is what is 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 what is terrifying. And and I want to encourage everybody like to act, to not to not give up, to not succumb to the to your fears, to not succumb to the negativity. I want to encourage everybody like to find a book, read a book. I suggest you start with the, the Seven Spiritual Laws of Success. Um, I'm, I'm all over, but like I, I just I just want people to believe in themselves, you know, Crispin. I want people to to let go of the demoralizing beliefs that not only keep them back, but then that create the insecurities and the anger and the fear within them that they just then project onto the world. And so sometimes when you see people angry and unhappy and upset, it's not because that is who they naturally are. It is because they're in a place where they are not living their purpose. They're not living them for themselves. And, and, and in many ways, they've given up. And so what I want to encourage people to do is, is to not give up, to, to find your purpose, to live your purpose, to act, um, to, to, to get to let go of the fear and, and to figure out how is it that you can make a positive contribution to the world and don't and, and, and to ignore any voice or any person that tells you that you can't do it, that you won't do it, that you can't be it, whatever. You know, they don't matter. Anybody that tells you they can't be don't matter. Like that that's my thing though. You tell me I can't do it, I, I can't even hear you. I'm ignorant to it. I'm I'm deaf to it. You know? And and that's that's what I would say. I just want people to believe in themselves. Because I believe, like, the more people believe in themselves and the more they love themselves and the more they chase after their dreams and go after what it is they really want from life, the more happy they'll be and the more productive they'll be. And you'll see we'll, we'll all start to get along and collaborate with each other because we're not, we're not just angry because we're living a life we don't want to live. Mm-hmm. Now, Tahira, this is the all-important question, the most important question you'll answer in this interview. <laughs> What is your contact information? <laughs> <laughs> my email address and my phone number. And, and, and uh, you know, the website for Thoughtful, all that good oh, stuff. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, so if you want to get in contact with us, you can always check out the website. It's whythoughtful.com. That is W-H-Y-T-H-O-U-G-H-T-F-U-L.com. So whythoughtful.com. And all of our social media handles are on there. And if you want to reach me, uh, my handle's online. It's Instagram.com forward slash Tahira Banks. You can just search for Tahira Banks. Facebook is the same thing. T-A-H-I-R-A-H Banks, B-A-N-K-S. Uh, and, and if you want to reach me via email, it's just my first name at whythoughtful.com. But please don't spam me. <laughs> please don't spam me. Just a disclaimer. Tahira Banks, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today on the planet. Thank you for having me, man. This was this was an excellent discussion. It was thought provoking. Sorry, I appreciate the, the questions were good. It made me think, it made me pause a couple of times. So that was good. Oh no problem. And, I, it yeah, was, man, I it. We like to do things that are quite thoughtful. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> We get that a lot, actually. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. So, to Hero Bags, thank you so much and take care. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. 
Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.